Go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. I know that we read verse 23 last week and we began to dive into it, but I knew this, and hopefully you knew this as well. There's no way we're going to leave 23 that fast. Um, and so we're going to go back this week and we're going to really focus on this last verse in chapter 6. Uh, and you're going to see for good reason. I know in my Christian life, and, and those of you who have walked with Christ any amount of time, you've hopefully memorized Romans 6.23. Not only hopefully have you memorized Romans 6.23, hopefully you have found great assurance in your Christian walk through Romans 6.23. And we're going to see that, and I'm thankful for the but right there in the middle, uh, because we're going to see that it does say this, for the wages of sin is death. And if it wasn't for the next word, but, we would all be in grave trouble. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but we know this, that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, oftentimes when we memorize a scripture and we're familiar with it, we forget all of the little intricate details that make up this one little verse. And we're going to look at that tonight, and we're going to hopefully... Those of us, as we continue looking at the doctrine of sanctification, and please understand this, that is the context of this. This is not Paul delivering a message on how to evangelize your friends, though we can learn to evangelize our friends through these scriptures and we can use them. Um, he is at the end of the beginning of his doctrinal thesis, if you would, on sanctification. Um, he's taking Romans 6.23 and he's making a huge point. Uh, so that we can have that assurance that comes uh, from sanctification. Because those of us who have been positionally sanctified, we know that Paul talked about that, positional sanctification in Christ. And those of us who, because we have positionally been sanctified, we are progressively experiencing that practical sanctification uh, by His Holy Spirit who lives in us, um, we can now have great confidence and assurance uh, because of God's great work that he did to bring us to the point of sanctification. So Paul has been talking to us about sanctification, and now he's saying, because of this work, and he reiterates again, a work of God, a gift of God, because of this, we who were once destined for death and hell and judgment are now destined for eternal life. We're going to talk about those assurances, actually three of them from this text, um, and break that down this evening along with many other scriptures that will build us a, a clearer foundation so that we can have this great assurance of sanctification that we see here in this verse and that Paul has been teaching about uh, this whole time in chapter 6. And he's going to continue to teach us about the elements of sanctification. But we see this, the first thing I want you to grasp tonight, and, and I really do, I want you who have, have seen God's hand in your life who justified you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We know we have learned that. Uh, it was the gospel that was preached, that euangelion, that good news that Paul started Romans with that has rescued you from the depravity of your sin. By trusting in that, by faith, we know that we have been saved through the work of Jesus Christ by the grace of God. And we talked about how in being saved, we have been set apart because it was God's design this whole time to set apart a people for His name's sake. Now we have come to the point in our Christian lives where we are beginning to understand, I hope through this study, 
that this is an ongoing, progressive thing, that I am becoming more like Christ because whom he foreknew, he did also predestine to conform to the image of his son. Uh, hopefully you see that in your life. If you, you're missing that in your life, uh, you really need to go back and remember and check, have I truly been justified by grace through faith in Christ alone? And if I have truly been justified, is sanctification showing that and proving that to me? Again, remember, we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Look at your life. Look at your life and examine yourself. Test yourself. See if you're of the faith. Now, when you realize that, yes, I am, that, yes, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, we're going to talk about the assurance that comes with that tonight. So let's look at the first thing, what we deserve won't come to pass. The first assurance that I want to reiterate that Paul is teaching is this, that what we deserve won't come to pass. For the wages of sin is death. Let me ask you this. Anybody here ever committed a sin? You deserve death. Right? No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You deserve death. You deserve judgment. You deserve hell. So death is, according to what the Apostle Paul starts out saying here, Death is the wage that we owe. Romans 5, when we were there, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man, remember talking about this, Adam bringing sin into the world, he goes on to say, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to how many men? All men. Why? Because all men have sinned. We know that. We learn in chapter 3 that there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of this, we owe the payment of death. So as death is the wage that we all owe uh, because of sin, that principle, right, the noun. And I want to make, start making that distinction because when we get into seven, Paul's not talking about sin, the verb. He's going to be talking about sin, the noun. It is that principle, that old man that we're dying to. And so because of sin, that principle, we owed death, didn't we? Not only that, because of sins, the practices, right, the evidences, how did you know you were a sinner? Because you saw unrighteousness being poured out of your life. You saw the acts of that principle that lived in us and was controlling us. In fact, we learned that Paul said it was mastering us, right? leading us into iniquity constantly. That iniquity comes out in the form of the practices of sin, right? The fact that we have offended a holy God because of those practices, those evil deeds that we once did. So we see that death is the wage to, or the wage that we all owe because of sin, the principle, because of sins, the practices, but also because uh, that we are all sinners. That's the prognosis, right? If you are plagued with a disease called sin and the symptoms called sins come out of your life, the prognosis is this, you are a sinner. So please understand, every one of you in this room who prior to Christ, your identity was sinner, which would be every man that has existed other than Jesus Christ himself, you owed a debt in the form of death. The good news is this, right? Because we're talking about assurance that this brings. Here's the assurance that it brings. We won't get what we deserve. What we deserve won't come to pass. The wage has been paid. The wage has been paid, and it has been paid in full. Uh, this, this payment that we all owed 
this debt that we could have never worked out, right? How many of you tried to work it out before you truly came to Christ? Well, if I do X amount of good, maybe it will outweigh X amount of bad. Many people fall into that trap. The unfortunate thing about that is this. You never can do that, can you? So when we look at it, this debt will be paid. It will either be paid by you or it will be paid by the death of Jesus Christ because death is what is owed. So the wage, thankfully, for those of you who are believers here today who have been sanctified, set apart by the grace of God, it has been paid in full. In fact, Romans chapter 6, verse 10, when we were there, the death he died, he died to sin, what? Once for all. That means this, he paid for your sin debt once for all, not only all who will believe, but all of the sin for those of you who have been set free in Christ, who have been rescued. So this wage has been paid. First Peter chapter 3 talks of this. It says in verse 18, for Christ died for sins, again, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God couldn't get to God on your own because you were dead. You were dead in your sin. You were dead in your transgression. He, referencing Christ, was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. Just as you, we, we've learned in the last few weeks, few weeks, died with Christ, you were buried with Christ, and you rose again to new life positionally with Christ. So when we look at this concept that he's showing us here it's to bring great assurance that yes you owe death yes you were a sinner yes you were deserving of the things that you had coming however the wage has been paid and paid in full the debt that you owed because of sin was paid for by jesus christ on the cross in your stead the death that christ died has been charged to your account we learned a few weeks ago, again, that we died with him positionally. That means this, our slate is clean. The death payment that we owe, he took upon himself. He charged it to your account. So when we look at your account, and we check out the balance that you owe, which one time when you read that balance, it said you owe death. Spiritual death, ultimately physical death, and then we know this, an eternal death death. We talked about all those things when we talked about dying with Christ. And here's the good news of the gospel. He died to pay your penalty. Your balance is now, watch this, zero. Your balance is zero. I don't know about you guys, but if I told any of you here tonight, hey, here's my credit card. It's on me. Go to Academy and spend whatever you want, and you owe me nothing. How many of you would take me up on that offer? I mean, if they had ammo in stock. Huh? The thing is, when we talk about this in a grander scale, you owed so much that you could never pay. There's no way you could have ever fulfilled the debt that you owed. However, Christ said, here's my account. I'm going to die for you. Because even if I gave you my card and you went to Academy and you charged up $2,000, guess whose name's on that card? Mine. And so they're not going to send you a bill just because you went to Academy shopping. They're going to send the bill to my house. I'm responsible for paying your debt. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ took that responsibility to pay the debt that we could not pay on our own? 
He paid your debt by dying his death, and he said, charge the death to Kirk Hall's account. Charge the debt, the, the death to Ryan's account. Charge the debt to all who by faith trust in me, the elect. Charge it to their account. So you, you no longer have a debt to pay. When we read the first part, the wages of sin is death. I told you, if it stops there, we're in big trouble. Because guess what? We're going to have to pay that one day. However, thanks be to Jesus Christ that he paid that debt for us, dying in our place, dying the death that belongs to each and every one of us who have ever committed sin, who were controlled by the principle of sin, who in our own admission were sinners. Thanks to Jesus Christ, that debt has been paid. So the wage has been paid. This should bring us great assurance that what we deserve won't come to pass, even though we owed death, because the Scripture says that we do. We know that Genesis taught us that, right? When sin entered in, we know that death entered in. That was the penalty of it. You, you now are going to die because of sin. However, those of you who have been set free in Christ, you're not going to die. You are going to live. Why? Because you promised you who believes in me shall never die. Though your body goes back to the earth because it is flesh, it has already been corrupted, and there is no hope for your corrupt body. It will go back to the earth, but you will continue to live forever because he himself is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in him shall, as he said, never die, never perish. So we have the debt that has been paid. We owe death, but Jesus stepped up and paid the death that we owed. Life that we don't deserve has then been imputed to us, bringing, again, great assurance. We are now alive. It has been imputed to us. We talked about imputed righteousness. And because of imputed righteousness, now we have imputed life. It has been imputed to us in Christ, and it is being imparted to us in our daily Christian walk. We are walking in the newness of life that Jesus Christ paid for us to have. I don't know about you, but that gets me a little pumped up. I'm going to have a hard time tonight not preaching when I get to some of these points. So if I do, just pardon me for a minute, get in there with me, let's get excited about what he's done. So the life that we don't deserve has been imputed and has or is being imparted to us as we walk in sanctification. And this is freeing us and reminding us that we have been freed from the debt that we owe. When you get this principle, you don't have to carry around the guilt of those things that you owed in the form of debt. It has been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. It is finished. It is complete. The work is done. You who were once dead have been made alive in Christ. So as we are being sanctified, we are seeing and walking in that new life as we are being set apart continually by the Holy Spirit for the glory of God and for the purposes of God. Let me remind you, I, re I know earlier on we went to Ephesians and we broke this text down verse by verse in our Roman study. But Ephesians chapter 2, let me remind you of verses 4 and 5. It says, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. He reminds us, it is by grace you have been saved. So though we deserve death, anybody here want to argue with that? I like a good debate. How many of you here 
deserved anything other than death, hell, and judgment. We all did, according to the Word of God. Though we deserve that death, we have been rescued through the death of Jesus Christ. Please don't forget that in an age where many people don't want to talk about Christ as a substitute. He substituted Himself in our place. He died our death so that He could make our balance that we owed zero. For the wages of sin is death. A wage. It's something that is demanded because it's something that is owed. How many of you guys, when payday comes, if you walked in, and I know now we don't pick up checks, they, they come electronically into your account, but you looked at your account, there was no paycheck there. You had worked 40 hours that week, and you knew that you deserved payment for 40 hours, right? How many of you would be upset? You'd be calling, you know, uh, HR or, or whoever does your payroll, and you'd be calling them, and you'd be saying, hey, what's going on with my check? My check did not get deposit, deposited. I worked 40 hours. How many of you would demand that your wages are paid? Every one of you in this room, and you have a right to do that. A holy God has a right to demand that we pay the wage that we owe, for the wages of sin is death. Those of us who are being sanctified in Christ through the work of His grace, through the work of His cross, here's the good news for you. He's already taken care of it. He's already taken care of it. None of you will ever have to pay the debt that you owe. He paid it for you. So we, what we deserve won't come to pass. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. That you deserve death, but instead He gives you life. He gives you life to the full. The first assurance, what we deserve won't come to pass. We could stop there and have a hallelujah fit right here. I wish some of you would. I wish that would grab you like it needs to grab you. But there's more to this. The next thing I want you to see is redemption has been provided. Redemption has been provided. And I want you to see how it was provided. He says, for the wages of sin is death. But, but. A huge word. Only three letters. But these three letters change my whole course for eternity. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. I want you to see that redemption has been provided. It has been provided by God. We, we began to learn this way back in Romans, the first verse, when we started. Romans, the first verse, I hope some of you remember it. He says, Paul, a servant or a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. This is God's work. He is doing it, the gospel of God. So we see that redemption has been provided by God. You're not responsible Sanctification is not you paying off your debt. Everybody say amen. Stop thinking like that. Many people are, are in this mindset of thinking, I'm paying off the debt that I owe. No, you don't pay off the debt you owe because you have to pay that with debt. Now, if you leave this world without Jesus Christ, you're going to pay the debt that you owed for all eternity. But thanks be unto God that God, through the gospel, opened your eyes to see the truth that He 
desires to pay your debt for you. And in fact, he did on a cross 2,000 years ago through his only begotten son. So redemption has been provided by God. Watch this, for the sinner. Not for the, the person who's got it all figured out. Redemption was paid and purchased for the sinner. How? By our faith in Christ and the fact that He died our death for us. We're not going to go back and grab that again. We talked about that when we talked about justification. But here, Paul is still hammering away at justification. That this is a work of Jesus Christ that allows us to be in right standing with God. We have been declared righteous because of faith in Jesus Christ and that alone, the finished work that He completed at the cross. So we see redemption has been provided for the sinner by faith in Christ for all who believe. For all who by faith believe that Jesus died in your place to set you free from the debt that you owe. To forgive you and to cleanse you and to wash you of all of your sin through His atoning sacrifice and to present you acceptable to a holy God. When we by faith trust in His work, we personally receive redemption that has been provided for us by God Himself. I want you to stop and think about that for a second. The first part of this, we all came to the conclusion we deserve death. But God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive in Christ. When we were dead in our sin. Don't ever forget, it's God who is redeeming you. It is God who ordained that Jesus Christ go to the cross obediently and die for the sin of mankind. So it's by God this redemption that has been provided. It's given to us as a free gift. A free gift. In fact, is there anything really other than a free gift? Uh, wouldn't that be a bummer if somebody bought you a birthday present? Said, hey, this present cost, you, cost me $100. You owe me 100 Here, happy birthday. That wouldn't be a present at all, would it? That would be a purchase. Aren't you thankful that God fulfilled the purchase so that you didn't have to? Making it into a gift when He gives it to you. A free gift. John 3.16, we read over this oftentimes when we read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He watches. This is the most important word in this that we read over. That He gave. He gave His only begotten Son. This was a gift from God that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So we see it's never a gift if the receiver demands something in return. So I want you to have the assurance of this as we look at this assurance because of sanctification the great assurance that we have because of this doctrine, you are not working to get something from God. It's a gift. Jesus Christ, His crushed, broken, bleeding body was given to redeem sinful man when they didn't deserve it, and that gift is free to you. Now, I don't want to lessen that or cheapen that. As many people will say, it's a free gift. No, please understand. It was a very expensive gift. It was freely given. In fact, it's the greatest gift that you could ever receive. In fact, you couldn't put a price on it if you even tried. It's not a 
free gift. It came at the expense of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords laying down Himself to redeem you when you didn't care at all. However, though that gift is worth much, what kind of price do you put on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? What kind of price do you put on the sovereign God of all who laid Himself down in bodily form for you and for me? What kind of price do you put on that? You can't. So it's not free. It's freely given. He freely gave Himself for us. And it cost us nothing and cost Him everything. Redemption has been provided as a free gift. Though it was not free, it is freely given. Not earned by your effort. Again, if you had to earn it, is it a gift? So don't let sanctification be an effort trying to earn something. Let sanctification be an assurance that what you could not earn was freely given to you according to the will and the plan of God. Don't fall into the trap thinking that you could ever earn it by your own efforts. Again, how many times do we have to say this before people will get it? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And I'm going to Kirk phrase this. And that's it. That's it. Nothing you can do, nothing anyone can do for you, no ritual that you could ever do on your own, no law that you could ever keep. It is God giving you a free gift at His expense. At His expense. He paid it all so that the balance that you owed, which was death, would be zero. What assurance we have when we see sanctification being played out in our life that redemption has been provided. Provided by God, provided as a free gift. And then again, I want to remind you this, provided because of God's grace. Because of God's grace. When we read things like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that it is by grace we have been saved through faith. This is not of ourselves, it's not of works, it is a gift of God so that no man can boast, right? When we read those things, don't read over that just because you know it. Read over that and shout a little bit. God did not have to do that. Grace is always a gift. And it is an undeserved gift. And He gives that to all of those He has, he has chosen to save. It is all God. Right? Isn't grace all God? Salvation all God. Justification, all God. Sanctification, all God. Glorification, all God. Be confident of this. He who began the good work in you will carry it to completion. It's all God. It's all grace. Nothing else. He doesn't need you to help Him. Right? Those of you who, again, are approaching sanctification like, I am doing these things to somehow earn God's favor. Can't. But because you have earned God's favor, you are seeing these good works come to pass in your life because of the grace of God. Because He has showered you with His grace so that all glory will go to Him. So because of God's grace, as we know Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, it's all God, it's all grace, and it's all glory to Him. We talked about glory many times in our, our previous lessons. How if it's 99% for the glory of God, you stole 1% and you tried to take it. Therefore, it's not all to the glory of God alone. That's why we began this study with looking at things such as soli deo gloria. The fact that everything is, our purpose is, redemption is, Christ's cross was, His sacrifice is for God's glory alone, period. 
So we get to see this, that he has redeemed us, giving, giving us the free gift of redemption provided by his own work, his own act, his own will, according to his grace and his mercy for his glory alone. When you see sanctification playing out in your life, it gives you great assurance that God is doing a work in your life, not so that you can be seen, but so that he can be seen. He is displaying for the world what he has done through the redemption that he has freely given you, he has freely provided for you, though it cost him tremendously. So we see the first assurance was what we deserve won't come to pass. I said what we deserve won't come to pass. I wish there were Christians in our Bible study. I'm only playing. But I pray this, I pray when you hear a statement like that, that it grabs you. It does me every time I read Romans 6.23. It reminds me of what I deserve that I didn't get. Because of that but right there that says but God. Right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the fact that God gave me something that I didn't deserve in exchange for what I did deserve, and he bore that death in my place on a cross so that redemption could be provided for me. Two great assurances, but there's three here. What we deserve won't come to pass. Redemption has been provided. Number three, eternal life has been procured. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life has been procured. That means this. It is not only procured by Christ, it is secured by Christ. How many of you are thankful that you are secured by the work of Christ? If in the middle of this sanctification process you decide to not yield to the Holy Spirit and get in your flesh and have a moment that you fall into sin, let me just tell you this. For the believer, it will just be a moment. In fact, John tells us we can't continue in habitual, unbroken lifestyles of sin. We'll come to a place of repentance and confession. Why? Because the Spirit is living in us, molding us and making us into who Christ died for us to be. But we are not only procured, we are secured in Christ. But He has procured for us this eternal life. And what assurance that we have that He did the work by Jesus Christ we have the guarantee of eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony God has given us. Eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Lord Jesus Christ has placed the eternal life that He has given us inside of us because of what He has done. It is the hope that allows us to continue to look forward to the fact that one day, those of us who have been justified who are being sanctified, will one day be glorified where we can enjoy eternal life in His presence for all of eternity. Eternal life has been procured by Jesus Christ. The finished work of Jesus brought justification there at the cross. The continual work of Jesus through His Holy Spirit brings sanctification in our lives every single day if we're truly born again. And we know this, that the eternal work of Jesus will bring us to a place of glorification. Who he predestined, he also justified. Those he justified, we know this, we're in this sanctification process. 
We're in between justification and glorification. We're becoming more like Jesus Christ. And those he justified, he did also glorify. We have hope in that, that eternal life has been procured in Christ by our Savior. How did he do this? By changing our standing. Well, how do we get that in this verse? Watch this, a very important word. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. I I can't tell you how many times that the phrase in Christ is used in the New Testament. I want you to know something. When we talk about being in Christ, it is a change in our standing. The position that is opposite of out of Christ. Right? So if we are out of Christ, we are not in Christ. And we can't be out of Christ and in Christ and in Christ and out of Christ all at the same time, can we? That makes absolutely, positively no sense. We can't be in Texas and in New York at the same time. Anybody here omnipresent? No, that's why omnipresence has been limited to God Himself. You're not omnipresent. You can be only in one place at the same time. You were dead in sin. You were in the world. You were not in Christ. Now, when we look at this, it's hard for us to claim that we're in Christ when we're out of Christ and we're still in sin and we're still in the world. You need to look at your life and you need to see, am I really in Christ? Because that is the only place that your standing is going to be changed. It is the opposite of out of Christ. You were out of Christ and out of God and out of His will and out of His plan, out of His commands, out of His righteousness. You were out of that before you were brought in by Him. So let me just explain it like this. If you are out, you are not in. Look at your life. Does your life look like you were out of Christ, or does your life look like you were in Christ? If your life looks like you were in Christ, you have that assurance of sanctification that He has brought you in and set you apart and is making you and perfecting you who He has made positionally holy in your standing. So in Christ, we know what it's like to be out of Christ, right? But in Christ, once we were dead, and now we're alive. Romans 6, 11, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Once we were dead, and now we are alive. Once we were God's enemies, now we're His friends. Once we were sinners, and now we're sons. Once condemned, now we're pardoned. There is therefore now no condemnation to he who is in Christ Jesus. We're going to get to that in a few weeks. If you can't shout at that, you need to just check out of this Bible study and probably just, you know, be an atheist. But we went from condemned to completely pardoned. And when I say completely pardoned, there's not a record. You can run our complete criminal history. It's not a record of our sin. We owe nothing because He paid for what we owed by His death on the cross. So by changing our standing, placing us in Christ, He made us into the opposite of what we once were. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to throw some Scripture at you very quickly. Write it down as quick as you can. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of the Lamb, or the blood of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, 
Uh, we heard Jake, if you were here Sunday, preach these same exact verses. I'm going to reiterate them to you again. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you. How? By Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I told you, there's no record anymore. It's wiped completely clean. He says in 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Again, he's not talking about losing salvation. He's talking about checking yourself. And if you persevere in the faith, you are truly one of those who have been brought from alienation and enmity toward God into friendship and sonship through the adoption that he gives to us in Christ. Once we were dead, now we're alive. Once we were enemies, now we are friends. Once sinners, now sons. Once condemned, now pardoned. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we know what it says, that if we're in Christ, what? We're a new creation. The opposite of what we used to be, right? Because we were out, now we're in. Could you walk in by yourself? No, you absolutely couldn't. In fact, there's none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after him. You weren't trying to walk in. You liked out. But aren't you thankful that you have been brought in? You have been, watch what we read a moment ago in Ephesians, you have been made near or brought near through the blood of Christ. That's the only way that you have been brought in and made near to God. Right? Contrary to what the, the Christian disc jockeys want to tell you on the radio, that if you listen to their station, you'll be closer to God. No, you won't. That's like saying if you don't listen to their radio station, you, you, you'll be further away from God. The only thing that brings us near to God is the blood of Jesus Christ. And when He brings us near, He brings us to. We are in. There is nothing else that you can do. So don't think sanctification is the act of you doing something to get closer to God. I get sick of hearing that. It's not biblical. You couldn't get close to God in your own efforts. What makes you think you can get close to God now in your own efforts? It is God who has brought you near. What sanctification is, is finally realizing how near you are. Basking in His glory and enjoying that fellowship. And forgetting about that old dead man who died on a cross with Christ 2,000 years ago. He died, he was buried, and he has risen to new life. And you too have been risen to new life with him. Live that new life. Stop thinking that your efforts are going to bring you closer to God. I ask people that all the time. Is there a thing, are there things that you can do to be closer to God? They'll start the list. Yes, I can read my Bible. It's not going to bring you closer to God. You could have done that when you were lost and in your sin. Well, I can pray. It's not going to bring you closer to God because if you're praying and you're not in Christ, you have no mediator. You can't even approach God. Whole new way of thinking, isn't it? Well, I can go to church, right? And going to church isn't going to make you closer to God. However, Jesus Christ, through His sacrifice, not only has He made you close to God, He's made you one with God. John chapter 17, Jesus prays, Lord, that they would be one as you and I are one. That they would be one as you and I are one. He brought you that near. I don't know about you. You can't get any closer than one. You have been made one with Christ and one with the Father through Christ. There is nothing that you can do to change that 
for the negative or for the positive. Many people think that, oh, if I, if I blow it, I promise you this, as a believer who is being sanctified, you're going to blow it from time to time. But it does not change your position in Christ. He has procured for you, sealed the deal. Eternal life is yours in Christ. Again, let me remind you, once dead, now alive, once enemies, now friends, once sinners, now sons, never to be anything but a son again for all eternity. Once condemned and now pardoned forever. You've cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. He remembers it no more. I dare you to take a globe and you start east and somehow begin going west. It will never, ever happen. You will always be going east. And then if you have a lot of time on your hands, go west and see how long it takes before you'll ever go east. You won't. I'm thankful that he didn't say he cast my sin as far as the north is from the south because if I went north, I would eventually be going south. And if I started out south, I would eventually be going north, but east and west doesn't work like that. It isn't his words perfect in explaining how far our sins have been removed. Eternal life has been procured not by your works, not by your deeds, but through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ changing your standing, placing you in Him, the positional opposite of what you were. You are a new creation in Christ. And this is proven by our submission to the Lord. It's proven by our active, progressive, and practical sanctification. So I'm telling you this right now. Don't claim to be in Christ if your life doesn't look like it has changed. Because if you are in Christ, there is an inevitable change that is coming. You are not what you used to be. You have been made a new creation. So this assurance that we receive in sanctification is that constant submission to the Lord that you could not do on your own, but now you see this happening over and over and over again in your life. We see that in this last statement that's made in this text. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Watch this. Our Lord. This is for all the people who don't believe in lordship salvation. I'll tell you this. They're absolutely positively in error. He is Lord, and he will not accept anything other than lordship. When we look at what Jesus said while he was on this earth, I go to Luke chapter 9, verse 23, to make this point. Then he said to them all, in verse 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. That, that word deny is an interesting word that means to disown all of your rights. Disown you. Jesus, when asked, what, what should I do if I was going to fall after you? He, follow after you? He says, if anyone's going to come after me, he must lay down all of his rights. Disown himself. And in disowning ourselves, right, we know that when this happens in our Christian life, it is the Holy Spirit doing this work. And it is evidence that when we disown ourselves, what do you love more than you? Well, at this point, I hope Christ. But if you're not in Christ, what do you love more than you? I'll tell you. I'll make it easy. Nothing. You're selfish, you're prideful, you're arrogant, you're rude, you're self-seeking. All the things that we see come that, that come from our flesh. 
So we know this, when a person is really at the point where they are able to disown themselves, it is a work of God that is happening in their life. So if anyone comes after him, they will disown or deny themselves and take up his cross daily and follow me. And Jesus finishes that verse there in 24 with this, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. What a paradox. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. You want to hold on to your old life? You'll lose it. But if you lose that old life in Christ, you'll be saved. Why? Because you died with Christ, you were buried with Christ, and you rose again. So we see it's proven by our submission to Jesus as our Lord. It's no accident that right here in this one little verse, it says, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Submission to the Lord is shown by submission to some things in our Christian life. You want to see if you're submitting to the Lord? Let me help you. Submission to the Lord is going to be marked by these things. Number one, submission to God's Word. Are you submitting to God's Word? You need to analyze your life and see in, in this process that you claim to be in called sanctification, there would be a submission to God's Word as evidence of the fact that you truly have been born again. Submission to God's Word. 1 John chapter 2. He tells us about this in verse 5. He says, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are, what were we talking about? In him. I know when we say you're either in or you're out, you want to ask that question, am I in or am I out? Well, John answers the question for you. Look what he says. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Arthur Pink says this. He says, the Christian life is a life that consists of following Jesus. That's what it is. Don't complicate it. The Christian life is a life that consists in following Jesus. Sanctification is simply that. It's the work that He has done is evidenced in your life through submission to His Word as you obediently follow the commands and teachings of Christ. So if you want to find out if you're in Christ, or are you submitting to His Word? How about this? Are you submitting to his will? Solid question, isn't First Peter tells us this in chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. What? The willingness to suffer. Why? Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Then a good test is, are you willing to suffer as he suffered? And if you are willing to suffer... Right? Because Christianity without a cross is really not Christianity at all. Sorry. New progressive Christian movement that we see coming here or there all the time from every direction. Remember this. This will help you have sound doctrine. Christianity without a cross is not Christianity. He goes on and he says, but he who's willing to suffer in his body, he's done with sin. It's proof. He's willing to suffer. Right? I wasn't willing to suffer for anything until I was brought into Christ. He goes on, he says in in verse 2, as a result, the evidence of, he does not live the rest of his earthly earthly life for evil human desires, but rather, or instead, for the will of God. Verse 3 says, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry. He's saying this, if you are in Christ, you are now able and you will be living and walking in the will of God, rather for His will. So we see that this submission 
that we see in sanctification that brings us great assurance to be marked by submitting to God's Word, submitting to God's will. Remember, we're not doing any of these things to earn salvation. That's why I established before this the gift. These things happen because we have received salvation. He goes on and he says, not only that, we can see this, that we are submitting to the Lord as we examine our lives by the fact that we're submitting to God's works. His work, His works, the works that He has for you. Every one of you who is a believer in this room, please pay attention to this. We read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and we stop all the time. Don't stop at 9, please. <laughs> for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, and it is not of works. It is a gift of God. Why? So that no man can boast. He goes on in verse 10, and he says something interesting, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Where? In Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Those of you who have been born again in eternity past, God has already prepared good works for you to do in Christ. Are you seeing that come to fruition in your life? If you are in Christ, your life will be marked by those good works that come through sanctification that He brings. So we see submission to the Lord is shown by submission to God's Word, God's will, God's works. And what about God's way? God's way. We know what John 14, 6 says. Jesus, out of His own mouth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Me. Are you walking in His way? Are you teaching others about His way? Are you preaching that He is the only way? Or have you become liberal in your thinking somehow as many people are being forced to do in our society that all roads probably lead to the same God. Let me just tell you this. All roads do not lead to the one true God. There's one road, and His name is Jesus, and He is the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, when He was teaching, He reminded people of this. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road or the way that leads to life, and only a few find it. He's saying this, I am that narrow way. Many people say all the time when we preach Christ and Christ crucified, well, that's narrow-minded. Yes, it is. Very. Very narrow-minded. Well, it's closed-minded and it doesn't, it doesn't allow for any other uh, room, of, uh, for any other thoughts or any other philosophies. Yes, you're absolutely right. It does not. It is exclusive. And I want you to understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is exclusive. He is the only way without exception. I told you I might start preaching tonight. He's the only way, without exception. Many people are trying to get there some other way. Are you devoted to that way? Are you sold out to that way? I promise you, if you're in the sanctification process, you know what I'm saying is true. You know He is the only way, that He is your only hope, and that without Him you would still be dead and lost in your sin, and you would still owe the death and the judgment that belongs to you. But, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So if you're following a Jesus that is less than Lord, you're not following a biblical Jesus. Can you really believe this? I know some of you who have come up in this church since your infancy in Christ, you don't believe me when I tell you that there are teachings out there that say things like this. That Jesus can somehow be Savior, and then later on down the road, maybe we can then choose Him as Lord. That's a messed up thinking. I'm going to tell you this. Are you listening? 
Whether you ever choose Jesus as Lord or not, He's Lord. It's established. He's Lord of Lords, and He will forever be Lord. There's nothing you can do about it. He is sovereign over all. But many people fall into the trap of thinking that He can be less than Lord, and if He is less than Lord, He is some lesser Jesus that people have conjured up in the depraved human mind. Jesus Christ is Lord. We just read that. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's great assurance. Great assurance. You are sanctified in Christ if you are submitting to Him as Lord over and of all in your life. Isn't there great assurance to know that? Can you imagine the assurance or the lack thereof that a person has who's not sure, claiming to be a Christian, but not sure if he's Lord? How do they read Romans 6.23, if he's not Lord, right? Well, there's a pretty good chance that my debt has not been paid. Therefore, I still have to look forward to death, hell, and judgment. That immediately brings fear into my life, the fear of judgment that Jesus Christ died to remove from my life. If you're following any other Jesus, other than Jesus the Lord, it's not biblical. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and He always will be. And if He is your Lord personally, you are reminded of that every single day. The Spirit within you bows down to Him, even without acknowledging or consulting you. Consulting your flesh, in fact, He consults your flesh never. The Spirit urges you every day of your life to bow down. Lord, I am here. I am here at your service. You want to know if you're really being sanctified? Is your heart to serve Him. Because if your heart is to serve Him, you've truly been saved. Because the heart of someone who has been saved is to serve their Master. We, look, we talked last week, you can't serve two of them. Are you serving Him as Lord? That's what happens in modern Christianity, right? That's why we don't see service. Because we allow the Lord to be an optional thing that maybe we'll tag on someday. The old preachers used to say it like this, and they still get mad at me for saying it. He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. And I'm going to tell you this. I still believe that. And I believe that not because I heard some fancy preacher say it at one point in time. I believe it because Scripture is true. And I see it all over Scripture. There's no such thing as Him being half Lord. That means you're not really in, that you're still kind of out. And if you're kind of out, you're out. But in Christ, He's Lord, and that brings us great assurance. So let's read this text again as we prepare to close. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What great assurance there is in understanding that we who were once set apart for eternal death. Did you know this? You were sanctified at one time. You were set apart for death. We who were once set apart for eternal death and hell condemned already according to what Jesus taught in John chapter 3. We have now been set apart to eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You fit in one of two places tonight. Great assurance in Christ or great fear of judgment if you're out of Christ. And there are no other places for you to fit in. Where are you? I pray tonight that you would examine your life, that you would examine your heart, that you would see, is this great work of sanctification that God
God and God alone does by His grace alone, through Christ alone. Is that happening in my life and do I have the assurance from it that we see Paul speaking to the church about here in this one small verse? Let's pray together as we close. Lord, we love You. We thank You for the truth of Your Word. We thank You that we know the wages of sin is truly death that the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, I thank you for rescuing me and bringing me into fellowship with you when I was out. When I was outside in my sin, set apart for judgment in hell, you, by your sovereign grace, chose to set me apart for your glory. All glory belongs to you. May we never let ourselves forget that. May your spirit constantly remind us of that. May we study your word and constantly see that. May we tell others about the glorious grace that we have received in Christ. And may we preach the gospel where is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe that others may turn and believe in you. God, I pray for every man in this room. I pray that they settle the issue tonight. Do they have great assurance because they're in Christ? Or are they still floundering outside of Christ with no assurance and no evidence of sanctification in their life? God, I thank you though we can never, by our works, by our good deeds, ever attain salvation and righteousness, Lord, I thank you that because you have given it to us freely, we can walk in the good works that you have preordained for us to walk in. May we walk in those things. May we bring you great, great glory with this small life that we live in this world. See you. And enjoy you in our glorified state for all eternity. Lord, I ask that you go with each of these men, that you give them the strength, the power, and the wisdom to lead their homes, to lead their families, to lead a life that draws others to Jesus Christ. We love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.